this week on Dig Me Out. She's a With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week, it's another Patreon poll. Actually, this was a poll and then another poll because it went to a runoff. <laughs> this happens like 95% of the time we run a poll. It's, un- it's uncanny. Yep. We, uh, we had four albums released in May of 1998. Those were Tori Amos's... Tori Amos's... Amos's? Tori Amos. Hey, you're not supposed to talk yet. I haven't introduced you. Sorry. You're supposed to remain silent until introduction. You have so many rules. Standard <laughs> podcast guest procedure. That was my wife, Katie, who will be joining us on this episode to talk to Tori Amos. Uh, spoiler alert, she won the poll. The other options were Rufus Wainwright, Sean Lennon, and Hayden. We went with all with individuals, no bands. And this poll... There was a tie between Tori Amos and Hayden, and then Tori Amos ended up winning. We'll get to the comments from our patrons later in the show. Welcome back, Katie. It's been a while since you've been on an episode, although you are technically on every episode as you are the voice of the podcast. Am I allowed to talk now? You may pe- You may speak. I just introduced you. Thank you. I'm Katie. You might remember Katie from such previous episodes as uh, Chibomato concerts in the 90s that's going to be relevant to this podcast by the way jay we got tori amos I we want got to ask, it i want to ask you up front are you a big tori amos fan huge no no jay, i'm aware i'm aware i have that's a all good authority that you own fairy wings <laughs> i own several pairs of fairy wings it is true yes i have a seven-year-old daughter so that that sort of, that kind of happens you find yourself, you know, with an inventory of fair, fair wings at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Glitter. Lots of glitter. Indeed. From the Choir Girl Hotel. That was the album that won. We got comments on both the original poll and the new poll from a whole bunch of folks. As far as Tori, that's the comments I'm going to read, and I'll mention everybody else. Uh, Tara McCook said, I absolutely love From the Choir Girl Hotel. What a phenomenal record. It's probably not surprising that a woman who grew up in the 90s would have a Tori Amos, would have Tori Amos as a foundational influence. And this record was such a great evolution of her sound. Fun fact, the drummer on this record, Matt Chamberlain, is one of the musicians on Let It Go from Frozen. The world works in mysterious ways. Neat. Matt, Matt <laughs> Chamberlain's played on a lot of records. Yeah, so I'm not sure that's mysterious yeah i mean musicians have to eat so i don't know if that would be his like main lead matt chamberlain from frozen (laughs) no i think it would be frozen's matt chamberlain there you go (laughs) and then um patrick tested time chimed in with not to mention george porter jr who was the inventor of funk plays bass on this record and willie porter uh, no relation to George Porter, is one of the greatest finger-style guitarists on the planet. He also plays on this record. Huh. Um, so there's a lot of talent, I guess what he's saying, that's on this record. Davey Bright says, 
Shame on me, I only know one of these albums. Have loved Tori's music since Little Earthquakes when I was a young metalhead teenager. Choir Girl was really different vibe. Took me by surprise. Great album. Matthew Barnes, Hayden is by far the most interesting of the choices. Tori Amos had lost much of her immediacy and originality at this point. I equate Sean Lennon with a very... With the very definition of overrated, Hayden at least had something new to offer in what was the twilight era of 90s alternative. So a little shade on Tori from Matthew Barnes there. It's heated up. Heated up. Keith Sawyer also backing uh, what Matt Bard says. I'm down with Hayden as well. Matthew Barnes stated it well. Tori was in full nasal gazing mode by this point. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Patrick Testa, I like what each of these artists were doing in 1998. Although I was a little overexposed to Tori at the time, it was very hard to avoid her and Dave Matthews if we weren't in the mood. Now, I haven't really kept in touch with any of these releases, but if my memory is reliable, I would say Rufus and Tori have the strongest albums. Alas, I'm looking forward to revisiting whatever comes out of this vote. I would not have put her in the same category as Dave Matthews Band. I think you just meant in terms of saturation. Not okay. Um, sorry, dude. Hayden Smith says I was a Tory fan before Choir Girl, but when the album came out, it was a great example of how an artist can try something totally different from what made them successful, and it actually worked. Tory's best work is when she opens up about her personal life and puts it into her music. I think that is what her fans admire most because it is it makes the emotion she puts into performance so genuine. She nailed it once again on this album. Jason Pan, Love Choir Girl, A Big Swirling Fog of Organs and Keyboards, stepping away from the straight early 90s rock band guitar-based drum approach to backing her piano from her earlier albums. Um, Steve Catan, again, smashes it with the guitar accents in the background. Love particularly the first half of this album, Spark, Cruel, Black Dove, Jackie, all fantastic songs playing off of Tori Strength and Travic. And Raspberry Swirl and um, IE, super interesting, almost dancey songs, bouncing off notions touched on from the Professional Widow, etc. remixes from the previous Boys for Pele album. And then um, Crawford Bear also, Blair chimed in regarding Sean Lennon's record, saying it needed an evaluation. Maybe we'll get to that uh, down the road. Uh, Jim... I didn't get pronunciation, Jim, because you were supposed to be on, but you got ill. We'll get you on next time. Uh, Lichowski, uh he said, Choir Girl's a masterpiece. I hope it wins. It did. And then he chimed in. Uh, the toys record here is an acquired taste. I almost think of it as her Octune baby. Hmm. Jay, that's a perfect uh, wow. you know, follow-up, considering we just did the U2 in the 90s episode. Yeah. He says she broke beyond the constraints of just her and her piano and really started to experiment with electronic grooves and different arrangements. I think for the most part, they actually work and complement her style. She's Your Cocaine is a jam. The first single is quite excellent, but for my money, Northern Lad is among the best songs she ever recorded. Granted, I haven't kept up with all her recent work, but I plan to since this was the record that turned me into a diehard fan of her songwriting, whereas in the past, I was mostly casual. I stand by this record and the first two as being truly great works of art, even if some feel this collection of songs on Choir Girl is a hit and miss affair. And then Scott Witt said, I have no idea who Hayden is. I loved Tori, but I think I hit burnout around this album. 
All right. And we need to welcome a new patron, Ian Wobble. Joined us at the $1 level. Welcome, Ian. Thanks for... you've been. I know you've been commenting a lot over on the Facebook page, but thanks for joining us. And uh, welcome to the Patreon page. We look forward to your comments. Welcome. And of course, you can join us at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. If you are a patron by May 15th, you are eligible to win the studio headphones that we are giving away this month. Studio region headphones by going to patreon.com forward slash dig me out and registering with us and uh, just a buck a month. And you can by May 15th be eligible to win. So Jay. Yes. I've done a lot of talking. I want you to do some talking. Sure have. Tell me one thing you <laughs> like about this record. Uh, should our guests go first? Okay. Are you the deflecting? Lady, I think Jason. the lady in the room. Katie, tell me. I've never been described as the lady <laughs> in the room ever in my life. <laughs> Katie, you're a resident Tory expert. Yes. Tell us one one thing you like about this record. I really appreciate the change in style. I think it's really fantastic. So I, I think it was really brave of her to step away from, I mean, there's still piano, but the the production level is vastly different than her other albums. And I really like that she brought in other talent like you brought up. Okay. I think it was a really bold move because it wasn't, it did, it doesn't feel as much like a solo album. It feels like more of an ensemble, I think. Okay. Jay, what do you think? Uh, I'll go with that. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the performances come through, there's some good players on here. You can tell, um, it's interesting to hear her piano parts intermingled within that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, which makes her kind of play a little different. Uh, it's not piano heavy, but it's definitely, you know, the foundation of a lot of the stuff. I think it's really cool on a song like Raspberry Swirl where you get a total flip. Things go up tempo. It's almost like a disco song, but it's done in this really unique way. Uh, the drums are pounding, but it still has this like very organic feel to it. And the way the piano is locked up with the bass and the drums is really unique. I, I, I don't know that I've ever heard anything like that before. Moments like that, I, I appreciate and, and enjoy. Um, I agree with She's Your Cocaine. I think that's a pretty fun song. It kind of reminded me of like uh, Beatles a little bit. And for her, was a little bit on the less um, dramatic side, I guess. It had a little bit of a light to it um, where she can get pretty heavy. 
Yeah, I mean, and I think something like Northern Lad to me felt like I'm not an expert in her back catalog, but that felt a little bit more comfortable in terms of what 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 would be expected from her. But it's still a well written song. Um, so I think there's you know half of this record. I think the material is strong, and then the production starts to take it into a whole new place, which is you know pretty compelling. What about you, Timmy? Well. In terms of the change up from what we knew of Tori Amos before this record, in terms of being predominantly piano based, you know, sort of ballads and, and mid tempo stuff, um, I definitely appreciated her integration of a variety of electronic elements on songs like Cruel mm-hmm. and um, Hotel. And I don't know if it's electronic or not, but on IE, there's a a slinky kind of groove to that song. And I think I like her best when she's got that kind of groove. I I even look, think back to like a song like God that has a groove to it. It has like a propulsion to it. And that's the space I like to hear her in is when there's something driving the song besides her vocal and and a piano part i like it when the when the rhythm section is pushing her forward those are the songs that definitely work for work best for me now if you had told me that like the pioneer of funk was the guy playing bass on this record i don't think i would have picked that up yeah but, that's that's crazy but the fact that he did makes sense then that i i picked up on some of the more rhythm based songs because i'm wondering if if his contribution isn't necessarily that he's playing like slap bass on these songs, but just that he's driving them in a bit more, you know, groove oriented way. I don't know what her songwriting, I don't know if she sits in a room and just writes out the whole song and charts it out and hands it off to everybody, or if she's actually collaborating in a room with folks. I don't know how that works in terms of her songwriting style. I was trying to figure that out too. It doesn't, sometimes it sounds like a, you know, they could be deconstructed piano songs and other times the piano parts are so sparse and simple that it right. it really feels more like it's a band effort, like in the room, kind of figuring it out some, on some of these tracks. So don't give me respect, don't give me a piece of your precious nail. I wanted to have you on this episode was because you actually saw her on tour for this record. I did. So can you give us just a brief description of what the, like what the setup was with regards to, does she have a big band when she's traveling or is it just a simple like bass drum guitar, you know, her and the keyboards 
or is there is there more production and what was that like seeing her live you know i would say it was pretty stripped back considering that i think that same summer i went and saw the beastie boys and tribe called quest so i mean it was not heavily produced um but she did have a backing band mm-hmm. remember that i was 17 when i saw this so um I probably didn't take in a whole lot other than the fact that I was in Cleveland, which was a big deal for me to leave my small town and go all the way to Cleveland. And also that people were, in fact, wearing fairy wings to this concert. So where was this at? It was at uh, CSU. OK. So the Convocation Center there. Hmm. So um, I was pretty taken by the whole experience. And also I am a singer and Tori Amos is classically trained. She's a mezzo, and I'm a mezzo. So I was mostly listening for her voice. But I do remember there being a backing band. She, The thing that I was taken with was that on the stage, which was pretty much just set up as if she were a solo act, was a grand piano and a harpsichord. And I know if you've watched video of Tori Amos, you've probably seen her shtick. But... Um, it is really engaging to watch her play because she essentially straddles one bench and switches without missing a beat between the piano and then she'll just like twist and switch over to the harpsichord. So that was that was pretty compelling. It was pretty cool to watch. So And she did a really cool mix. I pulled up the set list because it had been a long time. She did a really great mix of old and new on that album, um, or on that tour, rather. So we got to hear, you know, the major pieces of Choir Girl. But then we she also played God and Crucify and Baker Baker. So she went back and hit some of the really great ones that probably brought most of us to that show. It was pretty great. Memorable. Was Cornflake Girl in the? Yeah, I want to say it was one of the encores. Let me pull it up for. I think... oh no, it was early in the set. It was the oh, third okay. song. I think my introduction to Tori Amos was hearing Jawbox cover Cornflake Girl, because it's like a hidden track on one of their earlier albums, and they and they recorded that like. What? Just... Wait a minute! You hadn't heard that song on the radio? I don't think I had. Oh my god! Okay. So I might not have had a radio. <laughs> It got played pretty heavy. And- yeah, it did. You know, and it kind of, I want to jump back to what Jay had said. I think at the heart of Tori, the stuff I like the best is really blues influenced. Mm. And so I agree. Like, She's Your Cocaine really does sound like a Beatles song. Mm. For sure. It, it hit me more as an adult, I think, than it did as a youth. I'm 
kind of, she pulls that out even more when she's on stage and Tim might have an issue with this. So Jay, hold on to your seat. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. As you know, my husband is a huge fan of Greg Dooley mm-hmm. and his stage presence. I would liken her to the female version of Greg Dooley. Mm. And part of my reason is because she, one of my favorite parts about her live performance is her ability to cover things you wouldn't expect and also change those covers, like really own them. So Mm. one of my favorite covers of hers is from Oklahoma, which is a musical. She would do this cover of Surrey with the Fringe on top. Which is insane. <laughs> so, I mean, in the same way that Dooley pulls Jesus Christ Superstar and, and right, does right. some really cool things with it, her her showmanship and her stage presence reminds me a lot of Dooley. I, I can see that. I mean, they're both dynamic and... Um... How would you say like when you when you're watching the show, you're watching them because there's a lot of facial expressions and there's a lot of like engagement with the audience while the music's happening. It's not just like Liam Gallagher just singing into the mic and preening. It's there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. And they're really like selling the performance in a much different way. So. Well, and as a piano player at her level of play, which is way more advanced than mine, but um, there is a level of technique where the the body leaving the instrument is part of the expression of the instrument. So watching her play is really expressive and sometimes distracting, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really neat to watch her because her technique oh. is really excellent. Hmm. I mean, lover or hater, she's a really good piano player. So it, the live performance was really compelling. Let me ask you then, in revisiting this record, is there anything that doesn't work or that troubles you or maybe uh, over time has grown to, you know, maybe something you liked before, but now you don't, care for or in reverse you you i'm asking you oh tim's asking me (laughs) you me you over there um i'd have to listen to it again and and really take it in but there were a couple times that i feel like in her earlier albums her diary style lyrics are what brought in so many fans and a few times she does it on this album and it doesn't feel as authentic and I mean, it's hard for me to say whether or not it really was authentic. I don't know. But like in Jackie's Strength, the David Cassidy line always sticks out to me. Like it always just felt like she was trying to make that work. Like there were there were some lyrical things that just didn't feel mm. like she could keep that up. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Yeah, she was try- almost playing a character of herself. Like these are the types of things, right. references I make this in is songs. What so my fans go- expect, and this is yeah. what I'm going to do. But yeah. what holds me, what keeps my interest, is that she was doing so many cool things musically. But as a kid, I didn't recognize that. I just thought it was cool. Yeah. As an adult, I recognize it more. Jay, what doesn't work for you on this record? 
Mm, okay, hold on to your seat, Katie. I'm ready. I, give it to I, me. I do not like the vocals on this record at all. Um, and it, it might have to do more with how they're produced. Um, so not to nerd out here on production techniques, but there is so much compression on this vocal that when she breathes, it's as loud as when she sings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the breath does bother me. And in headphones, it is so distracting because uh, you're just listening to a whole record of her breathing with every note. I feel like um, I have to go back and really listen to the like, earlier albums. Maybe it was like that all the time, but I agree. I feel like it's really high. It's like Matt Bellamy from Muse. Like he does those like huge inhales before he sings. I hate that. And yeah. if and if you notice it, it ruins <laughs> the record. Yeah, if you don't well, notice it, you can get through the record. It's fine. It, and it's one thing if you're doing it to belt something out but she's like doing it so that her performance is very like she doesn't belt out very much it's very like close and intimate mm-hmm. um and they're using their compression so they can she can pull that performance off so she can be right up on the mic and really you get all that that emotion i guess of being close but it gets distracting and then they do a lot of unnecessary like uh putting her voice through like megaphony kind of effects where they're like Mm-hmm. trying to make it sound thinner and That's I don't get what they're, I don't get what they're doing like you've got somebody um you know you're, you're a singer I'm taking your knowledge into play here that she's a really good amazing vocalist and I listen to the record I'm I'm not getting that performance through the record I'm getting this over affected overproduced you know um, I mean thing. to jump in I I don't know that she's an amazing singer she's not She's not always super connected to the sound. Sometimes there is a lot of air in her sound. As a classical mm-hmm. singer, I'm sure that's something she struggled with. And mm-hmm. she's super bright. Her sound mm-hmm. is super forward. And a mm-hmm. lot of people will call that nasal, but it's really only nasal if you're not supporting it. And I don't think that that's really a fair description of her singing because if she's really classically trained, if she's really gone through that, um, then she's supporting the sound. It's just that it's really forward. So, you know, and I think they probably have to compress some of that sound because of the brightness of her voice. Mm. But I do think it suffers because of it. Yeah. I'll back you up, Jay, because I think with regards to her vocals, um, the, the two issues that I had, it wasn't necessarily her brightness. It was there's a lot of like extraneous. Yeah. If we if she was a guitar player, we'd say she's noodling. <laughs> There's a lot of cooing and yeah. extra sounds and weird noises and, and yeah. yodeling and it's not really yodeling, but there's just like yeah. especially the one the the one that drives me crazy is Jackie's strength because there's like so much manipulation of her vocal that she's doing that it's like I don't know where the melody is. Like I don't know where your hook is. Yep. And yep. ultimately like these are she's a pop rock songwriter. And she's written some amazing hooks when you think of Crucify and Cornflake Girl and God. And I don't hear any of that on this record. Came, mama laid me on the front lawn. 
has some good lines but there's not really a hook on any of these songs in the same way that she demonstrated before now you can say well she's experimenting more on this record and you know uh one of the commenters brought up octune baby octune baby is still an incredibly hooky record every song on that record has a has a huge vocal hook Mm -hmm. uh, from one to you know mysterious ways to whatever whatever you know song you want to mention as a single i think the problem here it's not that i don't like her vocal it's just i don't like what she did with it from a songwriting standpoint there's just you know and some people can appreciate just the the lyric and the melody as they are and that's fine but not being a huge fan i need to like get that hook from her every once in a while in order to stay present. And I found myself listening to this record and just being like listening to it. And then it being at the end and I'm like, Oh, I'm at the end of the record. I don't remember a single thing that I just listened to. It all just seemed like one long song. It's I thought the navel gazing comment was interesting. I I definitely could see that. Um, And if you think about some of these songs, like they, they might be, they might be hooky in the, if she sang them, it's almost like uh, there were some lines in here where I really felt like she was making it more complicated on purpose. Like mm-hmm. instead of just saying the next part, which was fairly predictable, you know, uh, she would like put a pause in just enough to kind of throw off your rhythm and your expectation. Yeah. And sometimes that's cool. But when it's done like over and over and over and over and over again, you end up with like these convoluted verses where you're like, I don't get what the melody is here. It, it, that between that, the, all the breathing and the the cooing and the extra sounds and the yodeling, you're, you're like, holy shit, what's going on? Uh, <laughs> uh, when it comes through, though, you know, I, I think she's capable of it. I don't think it's it's that. I don't think it's a lack of talent or knowledge. It's almost no. like this record she's trying to no, not I mean, the be way, obvious. The way I hear it, this is her. This is her experimenting with her voice as an instrument more than a storyteller Mm. and sometimes it just doesn't work yeah but it's an experiment i can see that yeah that makes sense in the sense that there's a lot of different sounds that she gets into like playboy mommy has this like countryish waltz Mm -hmm. to it um which i was not really expecting based on the electronic elements that were in you know, this the previous song, like Hotel and and Cruel. Yeah, I found the introduction of the electronic parts to be not incoherent, I guess. Like, uh, they would come in for a song and then disappear and then come back, and I wasn't getting, like, what the, what the concept was, you know. Uh, it didn't hold together 
all of the time. Yeah. I could see if it was like, that's the theme of the record, but there would be uh, two tracks where you don't hear them at all. And it gets very like band oriented or even just piano oriented. Then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you get back and it's like this, these swirling keyboard synths and you're back in this experimental electronic land that just in the context wasn't there. Yeah. I really want to know where George Porter was in, in terms of his input, because I would love to hear her with like a full on, not, she doesn't have to play with confunction or heat wave or some seventies <laughs> funk band, but you know what I mean? Like where I almost, was, I almost spit on my screen. <laughs> the, she doesn't need to do the groove line, but, uh, but like, where is his input? I, that's where I'm really curious. Like, how is he on this record and what is he doing? What's his input? Because I can't hear any funk on this record. I can hear electronic. Like, if you had told me, oh, yeah, she worked with the guys from Massive Attack, I would have been like, oh, that sounds fascinating. Like, mm. that'd be that'd be a perfect combination. Yeah. But you tell me that she worked with George Porter and I'm like, I'm not I'm not sure I, I know where that happens. Like, where does that? Mm-hmm. Where does that work on this record? So that's why I asked about the live performance. I'm like, I don't know if they got funkier live and like jammed no. more. No, it was more her live. See, that's that's the thing that I guess I'm, I'm Which disappointed in. Which the fans. I, I get that. You know, that's what I wanted to see. Sure, I I, could, I totally get it. You're 17 years old. You're invest. <laughs> no, no, no. You're invested in her in her lyrics, right? And that's what matters to you. You don't want to see like. George Porter Jr. up there, you know, going <laughs> off on a seven-minute-long funk bass solo. Did seventeen-year-old Katie want to see that? Maybe she did. I did Don't not. Know. No, no, she. I didn't. would not have appreciated that unless <laughs> said bass player had been hot. Right. <laughs> well, maybe. Let's go Google him. I was I was pretty shallow at that point. Right. <laughs> So if if Brandon I mean, if Brandon Boyd of Incubus walked him, out and started, so I'm still quite shallow. There you go. Anyway, um, so that's just my like, I guess my not my disappointment, but just confusion in terms of like she brought in these players, and then like I don't know where their where their actual input is. I think as a fan, I can still really appreciate this album twenty years later, but also happily agree to the fact that it's very confusing yeah it's confusing to to i think me and jay because we're stepping into this pretty cold and so it's still a confusing album for a fan right she's definitely working some stuff out yeah and i don't know that i've i don't i'm not familiar with any material after this all my familiarity with her is all prior to this record so i I couldn't name a single that came out after this album i don't know that i could either i'm not gonna lie but i was in college by then right and you stop listening to music when you get to college right all of <laughs> all of your growth ends you just listen to the bob marley and steve miller greatest hits in college right. and that's no it. i do actually think that she had a like she had young children at this point and and there I was feel like there were some big breaks there after I, that i feel like she went into a lot of concept albums after this mm-hmm. so which might be interesting i, I uh, would like to hear her in that space i have those and i'm actually getting all of my college cds back this week true story there are a ridiculous amount of tori amos records on 
Yeah. Apple Apple Music. I don't even know what's going on there. There are like a hundred and some. I mean, she was records. putting out like a record a year at some, at one point, and some of them were like double albums. Yeah, yeah. It, it was bizarre when yeah. I went to find this record. I didn't know what was going on. All right, so let's let's give our overalls overall opinions on this record. Worthy album, better EP, or decent single? Katie, I'm going to start with you. Where do you rank this? I'm going to go worthy album. Okay, I'm so gonna wear my wings. So no, no cut tracks you would cut. No, nothing. Uh, no, I love her. Okay, Jay, same. Where the album better EP, decent single. Um, I only have one uh, fairy wing on. I'm at an EP, so I've got uh, Black Dove, Raspberry Swirl, Jackie Strength, She's Your Cocaine, Northern Lad, and Playboy Mommy as my six songs. You like Jackie Strength, EP. really? Huh. I like the I like the uh, I don't know. There was like a storyteller vibe to it that I liked. Okay. okay. Wow, we are at completely different ends of this album because I'm at an EP, but I'm at like a three song EP with um, Spark, Cruel, and IE. Wow. Interesting. You you liked all the songs I I did not totally like. Totally other end. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I might include Hotel to make it a four song. I, I do like, like Hotel. I, I like that song. I didn't think there was enough melodically going on with that track, which was a lot of the songs, but I like the instrumentation of it. So, wow, we're at two totally different EPs for this. Uh, hmm. That doesn't usually happen. Usually when we go EP, we're pretty close. Yeah, we're, yeah we were like an 80% match on those. Yep. Scarlet's Walk was one of the ones right after this one. Sorry, sure. I was looking that up. Yep, sure. I did own that one. There's a, there's, there's a whole bunch of them. So we need to thank our patrons for voting in this particular poll. We will have a, a new poll up for our June album of uh, 1998. They'll be voting on soon. And of course, you can join us at patreon.com forward slash dig me out to... Become a patron. You get bonus content. You get to vote in polls. You get to have your comments read during the show. And, of course, you get entered into our contests, like the one we have right now. We're going to be giving that away on the next episode, Jay. Exciting stuff. Live on that episode, we're going to be giving it away. Wow. Yep. That's exciting. Might have a return visit from Katie to, to give away that episode, give away that uh, pair of headphones from Studio we're kind enough to uh, provide that to us. Studio.com, of course. You can go. They're really nice. They are super nice. Katie uses them when she podcasts. And you can go to studio.com and then on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest at Studio Sweden. That's S U D I O. And then Instagram, just Studio. You get 15% off in May for using the Dig Me Out code. That's D I G M E O U T. For J. And Katie, I'm Tim. We're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. Yeah, da da da
Jesus. Boo.